So I think children would handle uh, a cancer experience much better than an adult would. Um, just because whether, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's an innocence behind life it. Hasn't been, life hasn't been interrupted yet. It takes a whole family in defeating cancer. Jan Bresch, executive director of Special Love, explains how they are able to help child cancer patients both during and after their battle with the disease. So let's do it. Too many days in the darkness without a glimpse of the light. Running tired and broken and scared, but I swear I'll never give up the fight. I see you broken and beat. Jan, thank you so much for coming on today. I think that, I think, I think your name says it all, you know, a special love. <laughs> Very simple on that. Can you uh, give us a, a quick little background of you guys and also what you guys really love to, to focus on? Yeah, so Special Love was started actually next year will be our 40th anniversary um, to provide a camp for children with cancer in the Northern Virginia, Washington, D.C. area, and it has grown since then. Um, it was started by a couple who had already lost their daughter to cancer, and uh, Tom Baker, who was our founder, read a story about uh, the Hole in the Wall gang, and he said, hey, how come we can't do this out here in the Blue Ridge Mountains? And so he went to NIH and formed a partnership with them and went to the 4-H Center in Front Royal and formed a partnership with them and Camp Fantastic was born and we have grown exponentially since then. 40 years old. 40 years old, I know. That's awesome. You guys are a stamp in that community now, I'm sure. We we are. We are a stamp in the Northern Virginia, uh, Front Royals, uh, Shenandoah area for sure. And you guys do um, predominantly camps. What are the what are the the camps kind of like and what types of demographics are you facilitating with like age group wise and, and so? So the Camp Fantastic was started. Um, it takes children from ages seven to 17. And because we have a full medical unit at the camp, we can um, take the sickest children and we often do. Um, so that started special love. Then we moved into weekend programming for uh, patients, weekend programming for the families, weekend program for the siblings, and then a full week camp for the siblings as well. So. We have programs running just about 11 months of the year for either the patient, the sibling, or the whole family. So you guys are pretty definitive then, it sounds like, because you guys have like hitting it on all fronts, one for the um, the, the sick child and then some for the siblings, some attention for the parents, because I feel like that goes pretty much not undervalued, but right underneath the radar of, yes. of the siblings, because I mean, if you're a sibling of someone suffering from from cancer, I mean, your entire family's dynamic has changed quite drastically. I mean, those siblings have got to be feeling fear, anxiety. They probably never seen and their which parents. They don't want to share. As, they don't yeah. want to put more burden on their parents, so they don't share it. So they need a place to release too. And so that's why we started a week long camp for them, where it's all about them, no one else, just all about them. And we even have a segment of our camp that's a bereavement uh, segment as well for those who have lost their siblings and still need oh, wow. their support, still are able to come. So yeah, I mean, you know, it's not that the parents mean to forget the child, they're just so focused on the sick child that they're not 
there's only so much to go around. And usually the sibling is putting on this brave face, like, yeah, I'm there for you and I'm going to do whatever I need to do. And internally they're suffering. They're suffering right along with the parents. Do you think they know how to communicate that? Some do. And I think some don't, I think that's just life. And so some may do it by acting up and some may do it by just being internal and causing themselves more harm because they're not sharing it. But again, they don't want to cause their parents any more grief than they already have. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess that's, I guess that's right. Cause I can only go and imagine what's going on in their head. I mean, they've got to be very confused. They've got to think that, you know, be confused. They, they see their parents emotional. They kind of have a sense that there's something going on, but they're really not sure. And right. I've got to, I've got to think that if some of these feelings are long-term, it's got to lead to, you know, some sort of, I don't know if it's if it's acting out or causing some like attention seeking behavior on their end. But then I think, too, maybe on the reverse side, I feel like maybe you have some positive behaviors from them come out where maybe they're trying to help mom and dad do good things around the house or trying to keep the family spirits up Um, from the the siblings, the the siblings only camp that you guys have. Have you noticed any recurring and similar behaviors from the the siblings as a whole when they um, when they come to your camp? You know, it it's usually they've internalized things. Um, They're not really acting up. They've internalized things. And you do get the full gambit there. And we actually have somebody who did a study on our camp about what are the benefits and the benefits so outweigh everything else for these uh, siblings. So a lot of times the siblings don't want to share what they're going through. um, And they also feel left out. They feel like they're, they don't know, understand fully what's going on with their, their sibling. They don't understand the parents. They don't want to ask questions, but yet they need some comfort as well. I mean, we had one young sibling who, uh, when her sister was in treatment, she found out about our brass camp and brass is for brothers and sisters. Um, And she went to her grandmother she was living with her grandmother at the time because the parents were so focused on her sister and said, I want to go to this camp. And they said, well, you've never been away from home and you're not going to, she goes, no, I, I really need this camp. And she found the camp and went, and it was a tremendous benefit for her and then ended up referring her sibling to the cancer patient uh, camp. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. I mean, it really is, it, it runs the gamut. You get those who, um, who do well and really are a strong supporter of what's going on in the family and they're surviving and they're thriving. And then you have those that just don't do as well because they don't know how to handle it. And I think age has a lot to do with that too. I mean, if you're seven years old, how do you really know what's going on? Yeah. You just, you just sense your sixth sense is just knowing something negative is going on. Absolutely. Yeah. You know something, but you don't really know. And it's the fear of knowing too. And, you know, the parents try to shelter them. And, you know, and some parents will tell them everything. Some try to shelter. And I don't know what's right or what's wrong. I think it really depends on each situation. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess so. What What are some of the um, the parent-focused camps kind of like? What What would you say is the most um, predominated subject? Is it is it, I would think just right off the bat, I mean, is it, is it, finances is it family support emotional support is it how do i help my other children because i just the amount of time that i have to put into either working and then going to the hospital or or so forth what what are kind of those like so we do a parents retreat weekend every year that's just the parents no 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 children at all and it's really interesting it's typical questions about you know how did you find out this information um where do i find this support but it's more about the parents coming together, understanding what each one is going through and supporting each other and 
and developing this great support network for them. We have a couple of um, sessions with them where we have a group session for the parents who have children who are either actively or past treatment. And then we have a, um, a support group for bereaved parents, but really it is more about coming together and being a full support system and getting to, getting a support system in some cases. You know, it was interesting. I um, had uh, coffee with a father this morning whose son was diagnosed in 21. And he said, you know, we found that there's so much information at the very beginning and there's so much information in the middle and there's nothing at the end. And he said, what I liked about finding you guys on the internet is there's something at the end. Yeah, There's something that you're just not let go. And now what? You're helping figure out what's the now what? Yeah, you're kind of like the organization that, um, you know, helps veterans when they come home, <laughs> you right, know, and then exactly. take them back into into normal life there. Right, um, because we not only do the patients from 7 to 17, but then we have a young adult program, too. Um, and for the most part, they don't really need us because they have formed their friendships through camp. And then we get uh, we do activities for them to get together during the year. But they really have a wonderful bonding system themselves. And, you know, we have a general a young man who's been out of our camp for at least 10 years. And he said that, you know, he's still in touch with all those kids that he was in camp with who have survived. And they don't see each other regularly, but they stay together. On, on social media and they're there to support each other when they need it. I was actually going to ask you that where, um, you know, when, when children, uh, you know, get sick and they're in the hospital and so, right. and, and, and a lot of times either missing out at school, I was wondering, is their main peer group, um, other children from hospitals? Because I'm, I'm, I'm thinking only, okay. You're friends with people who you share a common interest with, right. Right. Or, or a common experience with, and, you know, having long-term side effects of cancer treatments and cancer alone, you know, you develop problems with your immune system. Right. Um, chemotherapy increases your uh, chances of lung, lung damage, osteoporosis. And there's so many different side effects um, that you would experience from cancer. And, and then not to let alone the emotional side effects of having to deal with maybe if you had like a, a limb removed or you have scars all over your body from, mm -hmm. from the surgeries, hormonal problems, and then the social side effects, which we we're just starting to get into you know, having the fear of possibly it reoccurring, the cancer come back, your anxiety, you've been out of school for sometimes years, especially probably the younger children around five to 10 years old, who may have never even set foot in like a public school. Yeah. So I've got to envision at that point that child's friends are probably mostly children from that same hospital that they, they came uh, from or your camp. Not necessarily the same hospital. In our case, it could be the camp that they're yeah. making friends through and they're staying connected to. They certainly understand what each other's going through and they don't have to explain anything, but they still have friends outside of the cancer world that are their friends. And in fact, we do a program where the patients can bring their friends for the weekend so that they can kind of see what they're going through when they're not with them. Um, but I would say it's probably runs the gamut a little bit. You do make fast friends in these camps that stay with you forever. But there are the kids too, that once they get through cancer, they don't want to think about it anymore. They don't want to come to mm. camp. They don't want to be involved. Cancer is over here. I'm over here now and I'm done. And so yeah. that does, that does happen. But for the most part, they stay connected and that is their group because they understand I may come in bald, but guess what? There's others there bald too. And nobody's going to ask me any questions. Yeah. That brings up a it reminded me of uh what kind of veterans go through after like going yeah. through a traumatic experience like they all handle it in in so many different ways and i was just doing a podcast last week on a, a veteran oriented one it reminded me of this where i learned some 
veterans from World War II, after they flew planes all over the Pacific, uh, shooting down Japanese planes and ships, a lot of them would come home and never get into an airplane again. I mean, yeah. and, and not drive one ever again, not because it, it wasn't like the, it, too traumatic. They just, the, the job was over and now here I go with my life. And it kind of reminds me of that because you, everyone handles stress and anxiety so differently. And some, I feel like need that, um, that support and the others might, mm-hmm. I don't know, m- maybe some of the ones, um, have, have a, uh, a family support that's, that's been there or so, or how does that yeah. kind of, I think, that they do. I think they have great family support systems. Um, you know, and when you say you have your cancer community, your community is more than your family. It's your family, it's your neighbors, it's your schoolmates. It's, your, it's the yeah. woman at the grocery store that really becomes your community. But, you know, we've seen that where they just, um, they grow and they learn. I mean, it's it's surprising how adult these kids become and, and dealing with what they're going through. But more and more, we've heard from kids who say, I don't want to be identified as the cancer kid. I'm yeah. more than the cancer kid. Yeah. Yeah. And some of them too. I mean, do they, the younger ones, do they know or do they have any different sense of identity? That's, that's normal if they've grown up like their whole life with cancer. Because I can only imagine if you're three, four, five years old, and you you have cancer treatments for a couple of years. By the time your your um, cognitive development in your brain starts to uh, get, get there, I mean, and and mature, are you? Do they have any knowledge of really what it's like without cancer, living without the treatments? I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, I I I'm not a psychologist. I don't have, never done a study. I don't. Yeah. Think, I think you know, it's like any child. If this is what their life is, this yeah. is what they know. But I believe that you know the parents try to give them as normal a life as they can give them anyway. Yes, this cancer is part of it, but here's really the normal world, and you're just we're fitting into it right now the best we can. Um, but I don't think they let it define them either. I mean, you know, you can run across them and you'd never even know that there had been anything wrong with them. They just move on with life. They're more adaptable than we are as adults. You know, I found that watching documentaries on on kids with cancer and seeing, um, you know, the Make-A-Wish Foundation, always seeing episodes of that. I I think children versus adults, I think children would handle uh, a cancer experience much better than an adult would. Um, just because whether I, I don't know what it is, maybe it's an innocence I think behind life it. Hasn't been, life hasn't been interrupted yet. Yeah, your life right what you knew hasn't been really been interrupted yet. Yeah, because I'm trying to think. Okay, if I got cancer right now, I was like, I thinking of how much things I would have to drop. Yeah, and then I was like, if I had it when I was like seven, eight, nine years old, I'm like, I ah, I could probably still play Xbox. I'd probably have to like loosen up the football basketball and baseball but like i would still somewhat be able to um have a sense of normalcy i think for a right. while yeah I, be- I i believe that's true and you, you guys must have some fantastic camp counselors over at uh camp fantastic you no know, we really do so in our sibling camp we have probably about 85 percent of our counselors are former uh, siblings themselves who came up through the camp so they certainly understand what these uh, siblings are going through. And in fact, in our office, we have two siblings that work with us. Both of them came up through our brass camps. One lost her sister and the other, uh, her brother survives and is a counselor at our patient. Oh, so the one was from a sibling camp almost. Yeah. Yeah, oh, they, wow. yeah, both of them were from sibling camps. And then so um, in our patient camp, probably about 70, maybe 75% of our counselors are former patients themselves. Okay. That's awesome. That's a very, they're able to relate with the kids the most, I bet, exactly. I'm sure, right? 
And you know, we we've heard that I want to give I want to give back the same thing that I got. I want to be there to help people experience some joy and have these kids know that there is life after this. And we have one young man who was diagnosed, I think, at three, um, and he is the only patient that we've ever had that went to all 10 years of camp because of his reoccurrences. He ended up being in our camp from seven to 17. And then he ended up being a counselor and he's had uh, reoccurrences of cancer since, but he still comes every year to camp and is right there with all the kids. Oh, it's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. He's, yeah. he's, de he's definitely a journeyman. <laughs> oh my God. You know, I would like to have a 10th of his strength. I mean, he just takes it and keeps going and just shows you how to live your life. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're, you're right with that. I mean, one, um, one that I, I found from looking on your website, uh, Julia Jones, who yes. I believe had Wilms tumor, um, yes. which is a, a type of rare kidney cancer that primarily affects children at around the early stages of life, like three or four right. years old. Mm -hmm. um, and she survived the cancer um, and went on from being a camper herself back in 1998 to now a current counselor of the camp. Yes, yes, she is. She's if a very beloved counselor at the camp. Oh, I'm sure she is. Yeah. She sounds so yeah. heartfelt. If you if you would if you wouldn't mind, can I read a portion of her experience from sure, the camp on the, the your website's blog? Because it I mean it is just so sincere and and from the heart. Um yeah. you know that she's she's writing about her experience from the camp being back in, in 1998 till now. And she starts with I wish I could tell you the story of every child I met at camp. I wish I could share all the ways they impacted me and touched my heart. Every year when I go to camp, my heart is changed and I return to everyday life without adequate words to express my experience. I grow frustrated trying to explain to people how a week-long summer camp can have such spiritual significance and that the only way you could begin to understand is if you put your ear to my ribcage and listen to the music in my heart. Many people live their lives seeing darkness everywhere. They go even though... They live in the light, but I have met children who have had darkness push upon them. And from that place, stubbornly insist on seeing the light. In the end, I describe camp as transcendent and bittersweet. It's a week of the most fun you can have riding horses, canoeing, playing dress up, building a spaceship, visiting a farm, riding a motorcycle, winning more prizes and stuffed animals than you can ever fit into a suitcase, sitting around a campfire, witnessing more complete and utter silliness than one can handle and making the kind of friends you will never forget. Camp is full of kind people who will do whatever it takes to make a camper smile. At the beginning of the week, before the campers arrive, Tom Baker, Special Love's founder, gave us some advice. Fall in love with a camper. It's not hard to do. It's not hard to love these kids, excuse me. They climb right into your heart and stay there. The hard part is saying goodbye to 99 children at the end of the week, knowing some of them you may never see again. Saying goodbye was particularly hard this year. One of the reasons was a camper I'll call T. If I could share with you one person from my week, it would be her. T is a 16-year-old in the middle of her cancer journey. She's lost all her hair, uses a wheelchair, and has a tube that goes up her nose and into her stomach. I can't think of how to describe her other than beautiful. Her spirit and everything about her is just beautiful. I liked her immediately. Every day we would sit and do her makeup, sing Sarah Bareilles and talk. She made us all laugh. That last Saturday morning, as I'm hugging people, I see T and I know I have to say goodbye. I start to cry. 
As I walk over, she sees me and says, get over here, girl. I hug her tight. She looks up at me and asks, can I give you a blessing? I nod. She reaches up to my face. Excuse me. She reaches up to hold my face in her hands and looks me in the eyes as she speaks a blessing over me. I don't have words for that moment. Her gesture touched a part of me where words don't go. And that is just like the the quote on your website. It fits perfectly to that where, you know, is coming from a parent. The hospital saved my son's life, but special love saved his soul. And right. it just when I read that, when I read um, Julie's story, it just all came full circle um, with with starting that that quote from the, the get go, because you could just tell from the sincerity. And that's not even I'm not even listening to her audio. That is just words alone. I just I can feel the emotion behind what she's written. And I mean, she should be an author. And if, uh, if you see Julia today or so or the next few, tell her I said that that was amazing. And she's very, very heartfelt. And I'm, we're all so happy that she's uh, continuing being a uh, counselor over there because yeah. that type of work is so, so important. They know the importance of it because they've had that. They've had that journey themselves. And, you know, it's not uncommon. So Special Love also does educational scholarships for kids that have beaten cancer or in remission, and they want to move on with their lives. They're, time, they're tired of it. They're ready to do, you know, what they've set out to do in life. And a lot of them end up being something in pediatric oncology or pediatrics, um, whether it's social work, whether it's a nurse, whether it's a physician themselves, they want to stay in that area and help the next generation of, of patients because they know how important the positive energy from somebody is. And Julie is definitely one of those. Yes. Oh my gosh. I looked at, when I was reading that, I just looked at her little photo on your website with the, the heart hands and everything. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's well, so fitting. Well, I'll tell you, her brothers were actually went through the sibling camp and they became counselors there as well. So it really was a family affair for them. Oh wow! Look at that. They're and gonna. Their mother, their mother ended up on our board. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're climbing through the ranks. <laughs> they really are. I mean, it, because that's what you want. You want to. You want to see this continue on for other people. Yeah, it's gonna be called the Jones Foundation. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome, and that goes to show what a family affair. Yes. You know, being a patient really is because it, it's taking a whole entire family. I mean, to know that they're, they're you know, her siblings also became counselors. I mean, they're they're not just there showing face, you right. know. Well, you know, so special love's mission is to provide a community of support. And that community means the community of the family. It's not just the patient. It's not the sibling. It's the parents. It's the whole family. So mm -hmm. we have activities weekends that are just for the whole family too to come and just Put everything else aside and just be a family. Just come in and be with other families, do normal things. You know, you're not, there's nothing about patients. There's nothing about treatments. It's all about just having fun. Last weekend, we did an overnight camp where the families came together for Oktoberfest. They carved pumpkins and made scarecrows and, you know, they went zip lining and did archery and all kinds of fun things, but it was all just a great family feeling. So we obviously have been virtual for the last two years. We had a family that came last weekend who only know us virtually and they were just enveloped by the other families and they desperately needed it because this is a family that has struggled. Their, their youngest daughter had cancer. She's in remission. Their oldest daughter now has cancer and the mom is a cancer survivor. So they're doing genetic testing, but it's that's a lot for one family. So these other families just enveloped them in love and it was a great weekend for them. And that's what we want to do. And that's got to probably be hard to facilitate for the families because I think of, um, you know, getting off uh, 
getting off of my office job when I worked at an office on a Friday and getting together with friends from work, right. all you end up doing is talking about work. You yeah. know, you're, 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 you've designated a whole Friday night. Okay, guys, we're not going to talk about work, but then a half hour into it, you're talking about, oh, well, uh, Stacy did that again, you know, and then yeah. you, you end up in the work. And I can only imagine that that is probably tough in the beginning when you finally have them together. And it's, you know, this is the first time that they're n trying not to talk about treatments and, and so sickness. They do a little bit, but it's interesting. So we don't really facilitate anything other than we give them the location, we give them an activity to do, and then they're on their own. Because generally, if you're busy with an activity, whether you're pumpkin carving or you're making a wreath or that, you naturally just feel a little more comfortable talking. Sometimes they'll just be joking and laughing and talking about the silliest things. And other times you might hear the hard story in there. Um, but it's all about, again, that support. This is this is your community. Nobody Nobody's gonna look at you if you look a little different. They all understand. And that's really what it comes down to. I think when you and I chatted before, I told you about two young girls we had who met virtually online. Um, we worried about being virtual, that that connection wouldn't happen. Well, it did for these two young girls that when we had our first day program, they came together and they were like this, they wouldn't let go of each other. And they just were all over best friend, best friend. They didn't even know that they were the same age and had the same cancer. They didn't care. They just found their kindred spirit online. And they're still awesome. best friends. Yeah. So, I mean, it really is that community. They need the community of people who are understanding. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody does. I mean, especially in, the, oh, yeah. in, in, in those times. I mean, I mean, from the families to, to everyone. I know, um, I know you brought up uh, scholarships before. Um, how, do, how do those kind of work with you guys? Who, who are those kind of tailored to and, and age groups? So it's uh, anyone from age 18 to 30, um, and they've had to have come through our programs. So uh, because due to limited funding, so they uh, we get about maybe 30 to 35 scholarships we give away a year. Obviously, during COVID, it was less because people were putting off going to college. But we give um, scholarships not only for large or small university and colleges, but we do trade schools, we do community college, because it really is whatever they're going after, we want to be there to help them along to do it. We also um, provide emergency financial aid to families as well, not only families that have come through our program, but families who have never heard of us, but we hope that once we give them some financial aid, they start to learn about the other things that we can provide them. Yeah, I was if you if you don't mind sharing a little bit more about the emergency on that, because um, I was I was going to ask, you know, how do families typically battle the the finances of having a child that is suffering or healing from cancer? And, and how how do um, child hospitals, you know, get funded? Is it largely through donations or is there a federal or state funding available to them? You know, or each hospital's different, however it's set up. So we work with the hospitals, with the social workers in the hospitals to let them know about what we have available uh, for the families for emergency financial assistance. We also work with them and the child life specialists to let them know about our programs for them. But um, the emergency financial assistance general will come through the social workers to us. They'll make the request. Um, we also have hospitals that we've never heard of where our families have gone to for treatment that will reach out to us and say, you know, they're in need. Can you help? And we do. So we we don't pay medical expenses, but we, you know, help keep the lights on, utilities going, help the car running, the car payments, uh, the mortgage, keeping the house, whatever it is, we're there to help them. And during COVID, um, we actually started helping with um, funeral expenses. We had never done that before. Um, and then we got a call from one of the hospitals we work with regularly who said, we have a young mom whose 10-year-old had passed away 
is still in the morgue two weeks later because she doesn't have the money. Oh, gosh. We're taking up a collection internally. Is there any way you would donate anything to this? And we said, tell us what the balance is. And we just said, we never, ever want a parent not to be able to lay their child to rest. So we do that. So, you know, we, we have a certain amount for families who've come through us and a smaller amount for families who have not been through our programs, but we are there to help as much as we can. That is so sad. um... I can't even fathom it that you've gone through this journey and you've lost your child and then can't lay them to rest. Been there for two weeks. And I can only imagine like the, the, you know, what is it? a, A three, three, four foot coffin. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of funeral homes that really will help you and work with it. And, but she didn't even have for the basic of what the funeral home could have done. So uh, we were thankful that the hospital reached out to us and asked, was there anything we could do? Yeah. Well, I'm, that's awesome. You guys have those relationships set up because I mean, it, it'd be tough yeah. to, to hear about that. Um, otherwise, uh, that's... Yeah. and you know, families tell families. So if a family is struggling, another family will say, Hey, call special love, you know, reach out to special love. You might be able to be part of this program. And so that's how we get a lot of our families as well, not only from the hospitals, but from other families. Word of mouth is actually, you know, whether it's nonprofits or business or anything, it is the best, most authentic yeah. um, way of, uh, you know, tr- trying to advertise for that, that type yeah, of stuff. Really how was, is. you brought up uh, COVID. How, how was it with, um, during yeah. COVID? Because I feel like every, every nonprofit has kind of gone through its own little um, hurdles. Uh, I, it was funny. I was, speaking with a nonprofit who specializes in um, electronics. So like they, they're like the only nonprofit that I know of that that has actually, that was actually like uh, did better than expected, but how was it for you guys? You know, it started off rough. We were just talking about this the other day. We started with, well, you know, this is probably going to last a month or so. So let's just see. We went out to the 4-H and had a fire and sang songs and we're doing Facebook live accounts. And as it went on, we thought, you know, this is not going to work. We're going to have to find a way to stay connected. And so we started with little, you know, virtual programs of doing a craft project and it grew to where we were doing our week long camps online and we would send the campers, they would register just like they were coming to camp. We'd send them a camp in the box. So it had all the materials that they needed to participate in each and every program. And so we'd start at nine in the morning and we'd go till evening where we do campfires and cabin chats virtually and just like a regular camp day. And so we had kids participating from everywhere and it was actually turned out well. We had people from across the country who were participating, but also we had facilitators from across the country who were signing on and leading classes. We had things from robotics to juggling, to arts and crafts, to uh, weather classes, you name it. We have a local... um, construction company here, big construction company that has done different projects, including teaching the kids how to build a solar oven to do cookies. So it really went well. So we started with, we would do our week-long camps, but then every month we had two virtual programs running. And, you know, we say that COVID gave us the gift of realizing we could reach more children in the hospital doing virtual. So we're going to continue doing virtual now that we're back in person, because we don't want to leave those kids behind. Yeah, yeah, and, and I'm sure you didn't expect to all of a sudden become a social media coordinator in 2020 yeah. either. But then, <laughs> you know, I have to say, none of us knew what Zoom was or WebEx, and we had to figure that out and how to uh, do that. Luckily, we had somebody on staff who knew really well how to do that. Um, and then saying, okay, so um, how do we set this up? How do we lead it? It was really interesting. And then, you know, all right, so we're going to gather all of these materials. Well, where are we going to do all this? So my 
basement of my home became our distribution center. Everything came to my house. It got set up in the basement and our staff went in and put things together and, you know, put the boxes together, put them in my garage and UPS would come, you know, periodically yeah. and all the boxes. So we found a way to do it and it worked out. The kids were so excited to get a box that said, don't open. And, you know, it had special love tape on it. And they were like, this is, this is the next exciting thing I get to do. I had a father tell me this morning that um, his son was in the hospital when we were doing our camp last year and got the box. Wasn't really interested in doing too much. He signed on a little bit. He was heavy into treatment, but he took some of the materials we had for various programs and they had ping pong balls, but they had these other things and they made paddles out of them. These styrofoam things that we had <laughs> took the ping pong balls and the styrofoam out into the hallway and we're playing in the hallway ping pong. And he's just, that's the happiest <laughs> we've seen him in a while. And he was delighted to do it. And the hospital was delighted to have him do it. Oh, that's nice. That's yeah. nice. And you, you guys packing up boxes in your uh, basement, you're 40 years, 40 years old and you're not afraid to uh, go back in the startup mode, you know? Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> right. It was crazy. It's like, you know, the first guy, the first time UPS came to pick up for me, he says, uh, you got 11 envelopes. You got 77 envelopes. I said, no, I got 77 boxes. And he went, what? And I lifted my garage and he goes, oh, I, I'm going to have to go empty my garage, my car. So every time he would come and go, what do you have now? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. But it was great. Well, I mean, you know, it was, it was great for us mentally to be able to do that and have a way to connect. And it was great for the kids and the parents would sign on. We had whole families doing projects together. And then we also had nights just for the parents, including one night with a um, celebrity uh, party planner who did a craft with them and then had a signature cocktail that they all made. And, you know, they were having drinks together. Together. it was perfect oh that's it was awesome perfect. yeah that's so you awesome. find a way to make it happen yes yes and and speaking of social media before we finish up we're, um how uh how can people find you is it through social media how can they help is it through social media is it through volunteering is it through donations is it through you know maybe coming to some of some events all of the above so word of mouth is always good for us because that helps drive donations so we're at uh, speciallove.org and you can also find us on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. Um, we don't have TikTok. Well, we do have a little TikTok, but we're just kind of playing with that. Um, but yeah, find and look and see what we're doing. Certainly donate and spread the word about what we're doing. Spread the word, not just for donations, but there might be a family out there that could use us that don't know about us. And I think that's an important thing to do. Uh, we also will be part of No Shave November this year, which is a totally social media campaign. So if you want to participate in No Shave November, select special love and go for it. I might actually, uh, I might do that. You should. So Let stop. me know how it goes for you. Yeah, I can stop looking like a 16 year old, you know, and look actually 29. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I, I got a beard. Yeah. 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 You don't know how well it'll be, but still you have a beard. Oh, yeah, I have no cool. idea. I would I'd rather just fast forward to November 30th and see what the the ending is there. Yeah. Yeah. But do and, it. I'll I'll give it a try. I'll give it a try. And and um if you guys do want to log into the website, it's speciallove.org. And there is one L, the special and love share the L because they are uh, together. It's a little cute there. I love that. Um so speciallove.org with one L. And um, I'm going to post the uh, podcast guys on the social, on my Instagram and social media feed. If you guys want to check it out there as well, um, podcast, Apple, YouTube, you know, if you have it, it's on there. So uh, thank you so much, Jan. I really, oh, you. Um, just uh, the stories that you told me, if I can say anything it is just, thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate being on. Yes. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'll see you down the road, Jen. Okay, good. We did.
to restart.